So methane synthesis basically requires a, a coupling of two uh, cycles. The first one is the folate cycles, which folate is B9, and the second cycle is the methane cycle. And what really couples those two is B12. Welcome to Rumination, the podcast that discusses key areas to enhance ruminant production. Hi, I'm Chris Grin, your host, and today, today I'm talking with Dr. Osama Alzahal, president and founder of Alzahal Innovation and Nutrition, who currently works as a consultant, offering technical and research advice to companies around the world. Dr. Alzahal trained and worked as a veterinarian before completing his MSc in Ruminant Nutrition and his PhD in Animal Biochemistry, both at the University of Guelph, where he also taught for a number of years in the Department of Animal Nutrition. Along with eight years of industry experience in feed ingredients and over 20 years of experience, Dr. Alzahal has developed a solid knowledge and understanding of animal health and clinical nutrition with an emphasis on nutritional and metabolic disorders and ruminants. Dr. Alzahal, thank you for joining us today on Rumination. Thank you, Chris, for inviting me. I appreciate that. And thank you for the audience. I look forward to providing valuable information. No, it's a pleasure. And today we're going to dig down deeper into kind of amino acid balancing of and, and formulation of early lactation diets, which I think is an area that always needs improvement. So I was hoping, Dr. Alzahal, you would expand a bit to our audience and talk to them about meeting the nutrient needs of their lactation cow in particular, making sure we have high health, high component yield, and successful rebreeding. And we're hoping you can expand on the audience some of the challenges and the opportunities in that area. Yeah, thanks, Chris. This is uh, really an important topic that we've always, uh, you know, uh, find ourselves always going back to discussing with farmers and producers. Uh, and it's, you know, cows have different requirements and they change these requirement changes throughout the whole lactation. Sure. Uh, and it, it is important that we ensure that these nutrients are delivered precisely and accurately. And, and that's just not only includes the amount of feed that, that we do, not only quantitatively, but also the concentration of these nutrients and also the bioavailability of those nutrients. So hence, it's important to measure you know, dry matter intake as much as possible and how much we're feeding on farm and also do a frequent assessment of forage analysis and ration balancing. Uh, so grouping cows, it's been uh, really important improving improving that, that on farm. Uh, cows uh, in a grouping density also plays a huge role. So fresh cows, ideally, you should receive a diet that's higher in nutrient density than the rest of the herd. Uh, first lactation cows, which over often uh, grouped with, with the others, these, these first lactation cows has higher requirement for growth that's sometimes forgotten mm. than the other mature cows. So all that should be taken into account and also, um, you know, uh, not only, you know, they have different requirements, but also they are bullied by yep. the, the other mature cows and, and that affects their intake and well-being and so on. So some of those social stressors that we need to keep in, in mind in early lactation in particular when grouping first lactation animals and mature animals together and then group size and number of days in, in the fresh cow group, et cetera. 
Yeah, so when we get a fresh group um, in, in some of the bigger herds, uh, the approach is basically to, to, to give enough days in milk um, post-lactate, post, post, uh, postpartum enough in those fresh pens and also in some herds that separate uh, the first lactation fresh cows from the two plus fresh cows just to ensure that these cows receive the amount of nutrients and the concentration of nutrients that they require. Yeah. When it comes to lactation diets more specifically, you know, today and, and perhaps in the near future, specifically what should we be doing better in order to meet their nutrient needs of those lactating cows? In, in essence, what, what do we make, need to do to ensure a, a really successful transition from pre-fresh to high-performing healthy cows in those first month of, of lactation? Yes, uh, I like I like using the term successful transition. Mm-hmm. This is really meaningful, uh, Chris. So uh, a cow that go through uh, the parturition, um, basically uh, the first 20 days is the most critical, as we all know. But these cows, if they're successful, they're basically to, to breed uh, more effectively and earlier, and they'll have higher peak, which is, you know, for the, for the remaining 200 days after that, or 300 days, 250 days, they'll probably be just cruising yep. and delivering what they're promised. The, the issue with these cows, uh, they're not different from the other cows, except that they do, actually they cannot consume enough diet. Yep. Uh, their dry matter intake is much lower. So if you look at the rumen size of a cow that just calved, it's half what it would be when she's 60 days in milk. Hence, the cows peak later on days in milk with their milk, with their with their rumen size catch up. And that's not the same. So that there's differences between uh, primiporous and multiporous cows. So they eat less. That means we've got to deliver much more of these nutrients in a smaller package. So basically... Uh, a mature cow at peak of a peak of intake that can eat about you know maybe 25 some of them 26 27 up to 28 these cows are limited below 20 and 17 kilogram um, but having said that we just need to want to make sure that we deliver enough effective fiber so particle sizes are great because we don't want to mm-hmm. get into uh, issues with uh, subacute renal acidosis or some of these dis- displacement that occurs um in that early early stage, uh, maintaining rumen function is is a must. As we know, in ruminant, we feed cows fiber to generate microbial cells. Uh, th- these microbes that grow and ferment these forages are basically the main source for mi- for amino acids. So, yep. uh, amino acid that reach the intestine is sixty to eighty five percent generated from those microbes. So, maintaining rumen function at the same time. Uh, delivering um, a diet that nutrient dense. It's a win-win in both situation where we rely on forages to maintain, to, 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 to deliver that protein. Uh, but at the same time, uh, ensure that these cows uh, cover the requirements when it comes to uh, various nutrients. So paying attention to forage and forage particle size and meals and feed delivery and what the cows can actually eat and then digging deeper into specific nutrient requirements that those animals need. Because I think, as you had said earlier, there's a big opportunity for negative nutrient balances. Can you expand a bit more on, on how negative nutrient balances may play into hampering the performance of those early lactation cows? So cows can't eat enough to produce that amount of milk. 
and it runs into what we refer to very grossly as negative energy balance. But basically, energy itself is not a nutrient, but basically that term encompasses a number of nutrients. So cows during that time, they can they are actually false negative in protein, so that will be a negative protein balance. Uh, minerals, uh, vitamins, and some of these mm-hmm. important molecule, uh, uh, like the methyl group, uh, uh, similar to methionine, choline, uh, betaine, and so on. So to summarize all that in a term, negative energy, just kind of gives you the sense of just feeding carbohydrates and go away with it. But yeah. uh, this is more and more, especially for first lactating cows, as they require higher amino acid requirements. Uh, uh, devoted for their growth and so on. And so you mentioned amino acids. Where do they play in that early lactation diet? What role Amino do they play? acids, uh, unfortunately, we've done a lot of research recently and focused on methionine and lysine, and now we're basically talking about more of the other, um, more research uh, having include some other amino acids, which is great. But... Um, Amino acids, uh, let's say methionine and lysine, they're not just essential amino acids, but they rather play a critical role in the metabolism. For example, methionine. Methionine is a is a is a is a methyl group donor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the precursor of what's called SAM or S-adenosyl methionine, which is uh, is a source uh, universal um, uh, methyl group donor for over one hundred important metabolic processes. Uh, and it also plays a role in the immune system, plays a role in, 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 in redox defense. Uh, same thing, lysine. Lysine is, uh, you know, uh, is a precursor for, uh, for example, carnitine. Carnitine plays a significant role in shuttling those fatty acids into mitochondria, mitochondria to generate um, energy. Uh, I think it caught my attention, a paper from Illinois, uh, where they basically fed um, uh, lysine uh, before uh, calving, uh, then prepartum, and they, they've seen an improvement in energy-corrected milk and milk component post-calving, uh, uh, which make make a lot of sense because uh, they're during that uh, close-up, you know, dry period, yeah. uh, most of the mammary development takes place, right? Okay. In, 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 in addition to the heightened um, uh, fetus growth as well. So, uh, amino acids will go just beyond being an essential part of essential amino acids as we understanding its conventional, uh, way into uh, molecules that, um, uh, play a significant role in, in the metabolism. You talked earlier about negative nutrient balances, which I'd love to expand a bit upon. And, and in particular, maybe how the role of dry matter intake plays in those negative nutrient balances and the role of what how that impacts perhaps B, B vitamin synthesis, which you also mentioned earlier. Uh, that's a great question, Chris. Uh, actually, uh, a new research, new modeling coming out from the University of Guelph uh, Genelis's lab where they're actually showing that they tried to model the ruminal output of, of uh, B vitamins, I think they precisely were working about B12, uh, where they've seen that the, one of the biggest predictors for the output of B vitamins is basically uh, dry matter intake. Yeah. Uh, and that goes back into, uh, into the first point where cows cannot eat enough uh, during um, 
early stage to cover requirements and they run into negative balances and that's uh, probably be a good example. Now B vitamins uh, are very unique is that uh, dietary requirements uh, is, is insufficient or basically non-existing especially for B12 and uh, the ruminant animal rely on uh, ruminal synthesis so uh, we mentioned about how important it is to maximize the amount of um, microbial yield, amount of microbial mm-hmm. cells that leaves a rumen. So uh, B vitamins are basically are synthesized by those rumen bugs. And uh, the quantity of these B vitamins that leave the rumen is really, uh, you know, kind of uh, um, attached to how much uh, uh, intake and how much these microbial yield is. So it's a, it's a very good question. And, uh, you know, uh, there's uh, quite some interesting research that also came in from, uh, uh, I think, from Agriculture and Agri-Canada yep. uh, to places at all 200 to 2020, where they've basically uh, also looked at uh, B12 and B9, mm-hmm. uh, I guess, and they looked at the concentration in feces, blood, and milk, and they really showed some interesting results where uh, the amount of B12 and B9 were driven by the type of diet, the stage of lactation, um, and, and season as well. I mean, these factors are a little bit confounded, uh, but uh, interesting results. Uh, I think uh, B12 were uh, more uh, driven by uh, diets, or basically it's a correlation, so I have to be careful with phrasing that. Uh, by the amount of fiber in the diet versus B, uh, folic acid or B9 was driven by a certain, uh, component, which is, uh, uh, the, the non-NDF and starch. Yeah. Uh, there's more research, I think, was done by also by University of Miguel. It's, it's kind of interesting where they've tried to correlate, uh, separate populations of microbes in the rumen with, uh, uh, certain, um, you know, with the level of B vitamins or B12. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they can really attribute it to, it's a more correlative study can attribute it, but there was, uh, some, some variation. Um, the example that really sticks in my mind is that Provitella, uh, Provitella, uh, is a species, this genus, uh, they basically do not produce B12, but they are, they're utilizers. They utilize mm-hmm. a lot of the B vitamins. So, more research is, 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 is coming. It's interesting into, uh, you know, differentiating which one of these bugs is utilizers and producers. But the point is, uh, the animal is simply relying on the outcome of, uh, these, uh, or basically, uh, 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 on the ruminant output of these, of these B vitamins. And the reason that I brought Provitella is that if you have a high Provitella with the starchy diet in, in these, uh, 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 diets are probably more of the bugs will utilize it and will not a lot will basically Please. leave that room in. So it's really interesting and it's a, uh, uh, it's a, it's a very active area of research at this point. But, um, uh, you know, uh, B vitamin, vitamins in general are, uh, we, we, um, I, I think defining the requirements is, is very difficult. And I, I guess now with the uh, NASIM uh, 21, we're, you know, more using what would be an adequate response. An adequate response could be defined mm-hmm. by um, 
you know, based on measuring the response, whether it's more productive or repro and others. Um, so, uh, the field studies, um, uh, a few papers have also been, uh, looked at field studies where, uh, they've seen some positive, uh, effect of supplementing with, uh, lumen protective vitamins. So it's very promising. It's a, an, an interesting area of research. That's for sure. No, it is. And as you said, it's, it's, it's ruminal production and therefore driven, though there are impacts of, of different diets heavily driven by the amount that the animal's eating. And so during periods of stress or in particular in early lactation where, uh, intake relative to production is quite low, there's likely imbalances. And, and though it's, it's an intense subject and, and fairly scientific talking about methyl groups and methyl donors, you talked earlier about the, the role of methionine contributing uh, and to create methyl groups through SAM, but also there's a key point where B12 and folic acid, I think, play as well, right? Yeah, um, that's true. Methionine is an essential amino acid, but there's some somehow uh, there's an, some misunderstanding that, uh, you know, uh, mam- mammals cannot synthesize it. They, actually, there's a methionine cycle. Okay. Uh, that we, uh, you know, methionine is synthesized. The reason it's essential is that we cannot synthesize enough from methionine, and that's given that its involvement just beyond being just an essential amino acid. So methionine synthesis um, basically requires a, a coupling of two uh, cycles. The first one is the folate cycles, which yep. folate is B9, and the second cycle is the methionine cycle. And what really couples those two is B12. So basically, if you've got uh, a, a deficiency of B12, can lead a secondary deficiency um, in some in, in, in folic acid and B9. Okay. And I think there's a, a quite a significant amount of research from Christine Gerard's lab, uh, just showing how these are the status of these two B vitamins are basically linked. But that's the link is more important uh, in relation to. Uh, Methionine synthesis. So methionine, um, so, uh, uh, the the status of these B vitamins, it was suggested that could influence uh, the uh, methionine status and amino acid homeostasis stasis as well. So it is an interesting, um, uh, it's it's an interesting uh, topic, and it's uh, as we said in the previous question, so kind of related to the type of diet from the function, uh, and, and it all. Uh, it makes sense when you try to, um, y- you know, uh, follow that domino effect yep. uh, uh, of, of a negative, some sort of negative energy balance and how it's interconnected. So methionine is a really interested, interesting uh, how it um, it's very well connected uh, and also plays, you know, a role in, in uh, the transliteration pathways, which is production of uh, antioxidants. Yep. So it's a very it's interesting topic. I don't want to get too techy on no, this, no. but you, well, you asked the, the question. The, absolutely. <laughs> and, and the goal of our podcast today is to get a bit technical because we want to dig deep into some of these, these topics. But it also it makes sense as we wrap out to leave some take-home points for nutritionists and veterinarians and dairy producers in relation to the topic that we've been talking about is trying to meet the nutrient needs of the early lactation cow. And so maybe... If you could, for our audience, leave them with two or three take-home messages about how they should be feeding and managing those early lactation cows for optimal performance. 
Yes. Um, my main point is cows are not the same. I think we all know this. This is not new, but what we do about it is that's what will make a difference. So how do we feed these cows, how we group them, the efforts into managing these cows and delivering uh, precise nutrients to these cows can make a lot of difference. Again, uh, the bottom line is how many, it's not how many liters end up in the bulk tank, is how many cows contributed to that. So having less cows to produce more is basically the bottom line. And that's where every farmer and every farm I visit is, uh, can I reduce the number of cows? And that's basically should be the goal, is how many cows I can reduce to get the same amount of liters. Again, that speaks efficiency and then sustainability. Um, and it's much better for the environment. So it's a win-win for everyone. No, absolutely. So performance per animal, uh, enhancing that, maintain the health, and really focusing on these early lactation cows as a key opportunity to in- enhance health, enhance reproductive performance while increasing milk component yield. So thank you for your thoughts. Well, thank you so much for having me. Dr. Al-Zahali, it was a real pleasure to meet with you today and discuss with you. So thank you for sharing with our audience. Anytime. And I surely want to thank our audience for listening to us so that you don't miss our next episode of Jeffo Rumination Podcast. You can find us at jeffo.ca, Apple and Google Podcast, and Spotify. This podcast was brought to you by Jeffo Nutrition, precision nutrition for a growing world. <laughs>